everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Deeper Listening Podcast. My name is John Pru, and I'm here with my co-host, Justin Bruce. We want to help you discover new music from bands that you already know and bands that you don't. And as you know, if you've listened to our prior episodes, we're not technically music experts, but we're definitely music nerds, middle-aged dads who enjoy discovering music, whether it's new or old or old and we used to know it and we forgot about it, but we're getting back into it. So we are going to jump in here for sure. And in this episode, we're going to continue our dive into Fiona Apple's complete catalog. In part one, we use the idea of deeper listening to track her impressive first two albums. We'll continue that aim as we track three records she released between 2005 and 2021. We'll aim to give the albums that you know context and find the hidden gems that make being a music fan so rewarding. Now, we were teens in the 90s, but hearing title and win the pawn as wiser middle-aged guys who've been around the block a time or two gave us a new lens to view her art, which works quite well with the goal of the Deeper Listening Podcast. We want to walk away knowing more than we did when we started, and we want to have some fun in the process. We don't have a lot else happening. Let's jump back into our conversation about Fiona Apple. So we move into 2005's Extraordinary Machine. You know, this was an album that they started working on, I believe, in like 2002, 2003, she wasn't happy with kind of the overall product and the album, she ended up kind of shelving it. And this was almost a Yankee hotel Foxtrot Wilco situation, except instead of the record label being the bad guy, fans of hers thought that was the situation. It was her, you know, the artist, the one who had the creative control, who was like, "Eh, I don't know if this is the way I want to say what I'm trying to say. And because back in the early aughts, Everything was leaking online. You can hear the original version. But with two home runs under her belt, uh, of course, there's going to be a whole lot of waiting with bated breath about what the heck she's going to do next on her third album. You know, my impression with this album, and I was talking to one of my best friends about this recently, and they said that at this point in her career, it, it seems like that she started writing albums for really for her and not really for anyone else. You know, and that was the impression that I got with this, too. It's like she's gotten all of the critical acclaim up to this point. She's clearly disillusioned by the entire industry. Uh, and I would imagine that she's had enough money, you know, to, to kind of go and, and go and call them as she pleases. You know, so I think that at this point, she's really just putting out what it is that, that, that she wants to put out. And I think that that's the way that the remainder of, of her career, things kind of work for her. I think that if, if, if she's not into it, she's not doing it, you know, and she's done a very good job of taking control over, over what she will and will not do. And it works for her. And in turn, it really works for us because I find myself having a lot more emotional connection when she speaks her truth. Even though it's not my truth, it does make me think about things in my own life. And it's like you strip away those layers of, oh, I want to sound cool. How can I sound cool? And I get a little bit of that on When the Pawn. But I will remember, uh, because I hadn't heard this ever before, I remember where I was when I heard this album. I was on a mountain bike ride in the desert here, just outside of Las Vegas, and Extraordinary Machine came on, and I was blown away. Like, woodwinds? Like, it's playful, it's light, it's airy, but it's still got all those classic Fiona Apple elements. I am the baby of the family, it happens so. Everybody cares and wears the sheep's clothes while they chaperone. Curious, you're looking down your nose at me while you appease. Courteous to try and help, but let me set your mind at ease. If there was a better way to go, then it would find me. 
I felt like I was sitting in a Broadway theater and like an overture was being played. Be kind to me or treat me mean. I'll make the most of it. I'm an extraordinary machine. Someone has found some contentedness and some, like an anchor in her life. At least that's the way it comes across to me. Yeah, you know, and, and a lot of the stuff that has happened in the first two albums, too, I really and talked about it a little while ago. It's like I don't ever really get from her. I'm very clear that she has been through it, but I'm also not getting the victim part. I think that she's very clear about what her pain is. I don't know. I mean, I think that the way that she that she pushes through it, it's, you know, this album feels very empowered to me. And her other two do also, but this, you know, again, I think that as she continues to age and evolve as a, you know, as a musician, as a songwriter, as a human being, that the, you know, that that definitely comes across in her music. And I think that the that having large gaps in between, uh, in between records, really helps to kind of aid that whole experience for me. Every album that she put out to me, it started out seeming very very mature and all it did was just mature more and more and, and, and you know more and more emotionally intelligent more uh, more able to convey what she's trying to say and she was already starting at a pretty masterful level it did strike me a little bit with the first song i found myself being a little bit surprised that it was the opener i wasn't upset about it but it just it didn't seem like a typical album opener which actually i kind of liked and i think that some of the other bands that we've covered have done this a few times where they have kind of thrown a curveball at you for the for the opener to let you know that like hey this isn't going to be like the last stuff it just furthers my idea that she was in in this kind of place of i'm i'm really going to do what i like here yeah to our benefit and the second track get him back uh, which you know, she's got uh, confidence because this is basically like a, a run through of partners and, and men who have wronged her. drums here are featured and it is quest love from the roots pays to look at the personnel on the bottom of the wikipedia entry of these <laughs> albums it's like wow all right that's pretty impressive uh this song to me sounded a more like a traditional album album opener um i thought there was just a great swing i love the rhythmic drumming um i love the flow of the bridge um and i can definitely dig how she stays on the low end of the piano like you were talking about left hand right this probably is my favorite track on the album. I mean, maybe. <laughs> again, you know, to say it again, maybe. I mean, there's so many. But this one definitely sticks out as one that I really, really liked. And then we get into track three, O Sailor. And boy, this really sounds luxurious and kind of sucks you in and is rolling along. Uh, it's kind of a lamentable combination of piano and drums uh, that goes so great with the song's vibe. this before but the strings the orchestration not schmaltzy which is not easy to pull off and yet again uh, i think the keystone of all this really tasteful instrumentation is the vibraphone turns mm -hmm. out I, I just need to like get into some solo vibraphone albums i think <laughs> like there's that one i forgot mary carpenter is her name i'll have to double check that but from the, from the pretenders 
No, uh, there's a recent indie artist who plays the harp. Okay. And okay. I forget what her name is, but I've listened to a few of her albums, and it's like, yeah, all right, cool. Let's listen to some harp music. And it's the same here with the vibraphone. It's just so perfect and just such a pure sound that almost always uh, complements all of these tunes really well. <laughs> Time for an editor's note. I was trying to think of Mary Lattimore. Check out 2020's Silver Ladders, a great, calm, thoughtful album with some tasteful behind-the-scenes layers of shoegaze guitar. 2018's Hundreds of Days, another winner that I've enjoyed. Just great music when you're up to other things and want kind of a calming presence in your life. Anyway, back to the Fiona talk. You're, you are 100% correct, and, and the fact, it's not, it's not just the instrumentation, it's the production that goes along with it, to mix those in such a way that they just, they just feel like such a natural part of the music. And sometimes, you know, we talked about like Pearl Jam trying to add, you know, new instrumentation into some of their songs and it not really working. There's never a time that she does that where it doesn't work. It doesn't work extremely well. It's really, brilliant, brilliantly done. This song to me perfectly encapsulates the feelings that surround like just being repeatedly let down, right? And again, I mean, I, think, I guess the different people are going to have different lived experiences here. But you know, but if you have been in a situation where you've been where you've been let down a lot, like this, this this song really speaks to that. It's just a great song. Love it. Even if you haven't been let down by others, maybe there's a little sailor in all of us. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of interesting to to see that from both ends of the uh, of the lens. There, uh, better version of me. I think we both agree. Like, okay, yeah, not not bad, but I, I didn't necessarily have anything like super. Uh, original to say about it uh, but this temps sick in the head song yet again this reminds me of like 90s new york hip-hop punchy lyrics about dipping in and out of the end of a relationship Just rest and the signature thing that used to bring the following i have trouble now even remembering so why did i kiss him so hard late last Friday night and keep on letting them change all my plans. I'm either so sick in the head, I need to be blood dry to quit. Or I just really used to love him. I show oh that's it. To me the chorus asked the question, does love make us crazy and make us do crazy things or are we just crazy and that's why we do crazy things uh which is you know such a universal concept but yeah she she delivers it in an original way yeah and i would add to that i mean perhaps those things are one and the same right because when you are when you fall like head over heels in love with somebody you know what i mean like there is no logic there's no sanity to, you know what i mean like there's you can compare that to insanity in a, in a lot of different ways because it's just all of a sudden what was you know what was once up is now down you know what i mean and it's like and it just doesn't doesn't it doesn't make sense yet it makes perfect sense at the same time she talks about infestable cutters about about time being elastic and i think that love can be elastic too you know what i mean where it's like if you have a sheet of paper and you put something heavy in the middle of it well the two sides bend up together you know what i mean so and, you know, and a lot of the times with what's, I mean, because love, love and hate and everything, it's, it's a very heavy emotion, right? 
So you're putting, you know, if you look at if you look at your emotional life as a as a thin piece of paper, and you put something heavy in the middle of it, well, then the ends are the ends are going to meet, right? So I think that there's there's something there. So I'll, I'll wax philosophical about that for a minute. Uh, yeah, and then <laughs> in the next song, "Parting Gift," I was driving to work at three in the morning, and this literally made me laugh out loud, but not in a that's hilarious, but in like a oh my gosh, like she went there and just slapped this dude in the face verbally. I opened my eyes while you were kissing me once, more than once. And you looked as sincere as a dog. Just as sincere as a dog does. She mentions him not knowing that she knew that he didn't know her you get that right i mean she's like you know we're we're playing checkers and she is on some emotional three-dimensional chess in these relationships which is probably never the you know sure fire formula for like long-term success but the fact that as she gets into Uh, The chorus of the song, it's not only sung, but it's almost half yelled. And the piano is not just played, it's like, it's banged on. on. Uh, We're getting some confidence and we are not afraid, not that she ever has been afraid, uh, but we're not afraid to express that emotional complexity and her tenacity. And it sounds coarse and loud and it's very emblematic of like an actual argument. I think that she has a really interesting way of conveying anger, you know, because you definitely pick up on the on the anger in this in this track, you know, and it's not like in your face like Rage Against the Machine, but it's just as cutting, you know, as as like a Rage Against the Machine song would be. And the funny thing about that is, is that when I heard those lyrics, I opened my eyes when you were kissing me once, more than once, and you look sincere as a dog. Like when I think about that, I think about my own dogs, and it's like when they actually like are showing you affection, it's from a completely pure. You know what I mean? Like pure, sincere, genuine place. They're not showing you affection because they don't like you. If they don't like you, they go somewhere else. Isn't that amazing how, you know, I could hear that lyric and think, oh, damn, she went there. And you could hear that lyric and think, oh, that's kind of sweet. Like, yeah, I, I, I love how open to interpretation all of this is. Yeah, no, so I, I saw that as, as it being like this very, you know, genuine, you know, kind of thing. Like the sincerity of it being very genuine because, you know, dogs... For you know, I'm a dog person. I've got two Frenchies. In the next song, Window, uh, you know, she mentions looking through a filthy pane. And I was thinking, okay, a window, pain, P-A-N-E. And then like 30 minutes later, I was like, oh, pain, P-A-I-N, like emotional pain. And yeah, this is why I'm not a professional poet, because this is like hitting me on the head like an anvil. And to her, this you know double entendre just comes totally natural. Uh, but it was interesting to contrast those very open lyrics uh, with the instrumentation, which is like a little campy and a little brassy. So I had to break the window. It just had to be. I took that instrumentation uh, almost to be like a, a self-knowing knock. Like, hey, I know this is a little cheesy. I just want to say this, but here's you know a little bit of funny music to kind of like wink and let you know I know that it's a little weird. 
I, I don't even know that she's doing that for the audience. I think she's doing that for herself. You know, I find on this track that the horns are extremely, uh, extremely impactful. You know, the all-around production on all of her albums is just a plus. I mean, I absolutely love, you know, what almost seems like a like a march that's going on at the end of the song. You know, and then you go into Oh Well, which is another song that's written about what I can only imagine is just a relationship that's gone wrong. You know, she has such a talent for conveying the emotions that go along with the loss of something that you thought would be good. Her approach seems to be that even though she's had so much heartbreak and, and so, you know, it seems like she still goes into, you know, she still goes into relationships expecting them to be, expecting them to be good. And I think that for somebody who can sometimes, I believe, can be perceived as being jaded, when I see her songwriting like this, I kind of pick up a different feeling from that. It's like, you know, you have every reason in the world to not trust anybody, but every time you get into a relationship, you think it's, you're taking it from the perspective of it's going to work. And I think on When the Pawn Breaks, a lot of those songs are like, you should leave, I should leave. No, it's your fault. It's it's my fault. Uh, whereas on this song and this album in general, it's it's a little, it goes one more layer deep, uh, where it's more kind of talking about the emotions of like that loss, as opposed to, it's your fault, it's my fault. Uh, so that's another like kind of method of showing her growth as an artist. Uh, and then we get into Please, Please, Please. Uh, like Criminal, the label was like, hey, uh, we'd love a track that we could like, you know, play as a single and that has a little more melody. And it's funny, she wrote it and it's a very listenable track, but uh, she had a, a great profile in The New Yorker that came out right when the pandemic started, right before Fetch the Bolt Cutters was released. And uh, she references Please, Please, Please as one of her very few weak songs. And I think even though I like it, it probably has to do with, you know, the fact that the label asked her to. So she was like, fine, I will. I'll like criminal. I'll write this in 45 minutes on my lunch break and show you. <laughs> please, please, please. No normality. They lack and pack their pity. They've been made up already. Please, please, please. No normalities. You know, can you imagine just how much of yourself that you would have to put into your music where you could consider this song to be weak? I will also admit that Please, 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 the line, Please, 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 sung on the downbeat isn't necessarily my thing. There's something about it that is not quite as, as artful as some of the other things that she does. But man, it's still just, it's still a great song, you know, and it's, it's got a great hook. And I think, you know, that probably didn't happen by accident. I think that, you know, the fact that it is like a little disarming, she knew that that would kind of give listeners pause. And it's interesting because in the next tune, Red, 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 uh, this could be at home instrumentally on like on title, an atmospheric ballad uh, that's just littered uh, with gems. I don't understand about complementary colors and what they Side by side they both get right Together they both get gray But he's been pretty much Wow, that's right That makes me think about the reading that we had at our wedding back in 2010 So the fact that this random Fiona Apple album is making me think about a specific uh, detail, you know, about my wedding day is like, wow, that's there's there's really some power in uh, just kind of being 
poignant and pointed and and just kind of painting a specific picture because you never know what it's going to trip off in other people and she also casually says what's so impressive about a diamond except the mining and that really stood out to me as well man i don't i'm not necessarily sure what that means but it means something i mean to me what that means is like you know that sometimes it's the effort that's put into something that is that is what makes it beautiful and not the thing itself you know what i mean so it's like with a with a diamond it's you know i mean obviously it's a it's a pretty stone you know what i mean but i think what she's saying is like all of the earth that you have to move in order to get a diamond you know and all the pressure that it takes in order to form one you know what i mean the real beauty is it isn't isn't going after it you know and moving all moving heaven and earth to get it yeah that's that's keen insight you're not you're not john the teenager anymore you're john the <laughs> aged man uh, as we sort of round the corner and head toward the tail end of extraordinary machine last couple of tracks not about love like starts pleasantly enough um, but she's actually talking about some weighty things here like the intimacy that's involved in a relationship and how you can use that knowledge about your partner and what makes them tick but you can wield it as a weapon against them when you're in an argument yeah yeah we all know we all know about that pretty impressive and then she does get into those sort of more harshly delivered uh lines in the chorus this is not about love because i am not in love and it's confrontational and then there's this burst of a final verse that's just like explodes out of her as the piano is just like rolling along purposefully but haphazardly what is this posture I have to stare at? That's what he said when I was sitting up straight. Changed the name of the game because he lost it. He knew he was wrong, but he knew it too late. But I'm not being fair because I chose to listen to that filthy mouth. But I'd like to do his right. Take all the things that I said that he stole. Put him in a sack, swing him over my shoulder. Turn on my heels, step out of his sight. Try to live in a lovely Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, and to me, I found the song to be frantic, but frantic in a very good way. If that if that makes sense or doesn't, that was just the what what came to what came to me while listening to it. And the last track, the first track on this album, "Extraordinary Machine," and the last track, "Waltz Better Than Fine," were supposedly the only two tracks that were unchanged from the two versions of the album. And I was able to draw some comparisons between the first and the last songs, almost like the beginning of a novel and the end of a novel. Uh, but this feels like her, I feel good, I'm content kind of anthem. I love that we get the woodwinds back and they weave in and out of the piano. This reminded me of the beginning of the Pixar movie Up. Have a song to sing, you're okay. You know how to get along, humming. You know, even in the first track, she says, Be kind to me or treat me mean, I'll make the most of it. I'm an extraordinary machine. In this song, to finish the album, she sang everyone else's goals to get big headed. Why should I follow that beat, being that I'm better than fine? 
and I just love that, you know, she's got this uh, contentedness happening in her life here on her third album. Yeah, you know, and you always get the impression with her that she sees through a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, I guess, noise of, you know, of celebrity and of fame and of, you know, of all the things that people worship that really aren't valuable. You know, and it's like she kind of she kind of sees through that, and she finds finds ways to weave that into her, to her songwriting and into her lyrics. You know, one of the things that she says in this particular song, she says, "If you don't have a point to make, don't sweat it. You make a sharp one being so kind." For me personally, like, what, if if I have a default position that I try to live by, it's to be kind to people. So it's like whether I've got anything to contribute to whatever it is that's going on, if I can bring kindness to the situation, then I've got something to contribute. Reminds me of a line from one of my favorite authors, Kurt Vonnegut. He says, God, you've got to be kind, regardless of the situation, whether you're, you know, in the middle of war or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I also really liked liked that takeaway and, you know, thought it was sweet. We talked about how, you know, Pitchfork did give this album, uh, I think it was like a 6.2 rating. I mean, ridiculous. Ridiculous. We love Sigma Oasis, but I feel like if Sigma Oasis is getting a higher ranking than, you know, Extraordinary Machine, maybe we need to recalibrate things. But I will say that uh, almost all other musical criticism outlets uh, did give this uh, sort of its proper due, in my opinion. So we won't get, you know, too, too bent out of shape uh, because of one music website uh, saying this is good but it's not as good as her old stuff because I thought that it was better than her prior two albums and I loved both of those albums yeah no I agree and I think that I think it's completely fantastic I think it's a really uh, it's a really natural progression from uh, from Pawn Um, you know I was I was also a little surprised because it wasn't just Pitchfork there were some other places that that didn't give it it wasn't quite as lauded as the first two and I felt like it deserved you know, equal if not if not more praise than the, than the first two than the first two albums in some respects. Um, you know, for my personal taste, there's some of our other music that I will probably put on before this album. But man, I really have got a lot of respect for what she's doing here. And then in 2012, she puts out the Idler Wheel, and you know, to me again, it's another just masterpiece. Um, you know, I know that the Grammys are a horrible benchmark <laughs> to use for great music but I really don't understand why this album was not in contention for out of the album of the year category. You know, it's not, it's not to say that there weren't fantastic record records that were out in, in 2012. There were most music critics had this album in their top five list. Uh, it's much like, you know, the, the album that was put out last year with Fetch the Bolt Cutters to me, if it not being in the category of album of the year is a snub in and of itself, you know, it, they keep, they keep trying to wedge her into the alternative music category. And it's like, like it's like to me, it almost seems insulting to, to you know to, to put her in that category. Isn't it funny how like the older you get, the the less that genres matter. Of course, you know when you're a teenager, you're like, oh, I'm into fill in the blank kind of music. Nothing else. It's all it's all heavy metal for this guy. Uh, but you know when you get along in your years and your experiences, it's like I don't know, whether it's Americana or indie music or jazz or pop or whatever the heck Fiona Apple is. It's like, I just, I just want to hear, I just want to hear good music. And this definitely fits that bill. My initial reaction uh, to the idler wheel was uh, intimate. It's engaging, uh, just pure emotional expression without 
you know, being bogged down by extraneous details. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, and, and while I absolutely love the production on the first three albums, I love the fact that this album is a lot more stripped down. Um, and I think that that, you know, I think it's just kind of almost marks a turn in her in her career with how the albums are being produced. It makes it seem very natural. It makes it seem very raw in all the right ways. You know, I really, really like how this album is recorded. You can almost get that sense on the first track. There's like a, a little bit of like a metallic clang that sounded to me like shackles or chains uh, that are in the background. Uh, and I don't even know how they made that sound, uh, but the song draws you in uh, immediately. You know, right off the bat with, with every single night, I think that you're greeted with the idea that this is going to be a different take than what you have heard from her before. And I think it's very intentional the way that, you know, the same way that Extraordinary Machine starts off on, on a way that I wouldn't consider to be a typical album opener, but I didn't think she wanted it to be a typical album opener. She didn't want it to be a typical album. And I think that this whole thing, you know, it's, it's a different take right off the bat. And you, you are immediately aware that this is going to be something different than what you've heard from her before. And with the next track, Daredevil, it's like you you have that rhythm, but it's like homemade rhythm. It's not, you know, Quest Love on drums. It's not, you know, studio production, layers on layers. Uh, it feels you know, pretty homemade and it's less melodic than some of her work. It's definitely more spare, but uh, it, it works. And it also kind of paints a picture of where she's going to go moving forward. I guess I just must be a daredevil. I don't feel anything until I smash it up. I'm caught on the cold, caught on the hot. Not so with the warm a lot. And all I want's a confidant to help me laugh it off. And don't let me move. I think this is a new take for sure. I absolutely loved it. You know, this is easily, easily one of my favorite songs on the album. And frankly, this is easily one of my favorite of her albums. Yeah, it's it's definitely up there for me. I remember sending you some texts a few weeks ago like, whoa, Idler Wheel. Holy yeah. f- this is up there. Uh, Valentine track three kind of starts traditionally. It feels like some things we've heard from her before, spare piano, pensive lyrics. Uh, but then you get this powerful kind of stringed bass. And we're used to, you know, a bass player on a, an acoustic sort of stand-up bass, like plucking the strings. But when you're actually using your bow and, and playing the bass, like it's a guttural sound that kind of grabs you. Uh, and that's in tandem with her potent left hand on the piano and the lower end of the register just energizes the song as we move into the chorus. I root for you. I love you. You, 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 you. I root for you. I love you. You, 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 you. I think she's talking about trying to live and love normally like in the wake of a relationship because she's mentioning an old flame moving on and okay yeah we wish you the best uh but i thought it was a pretty great song i agree and it's like you know i can i can so relate to 
the feeling of going to do something when you're trying to get over someone, you know, and it's like, and you're out like trying to do whatever it is that you're doing. And it's like, really, you just feel like crying, you know what I mean? But it's like, you're also trying to, you know, you're trying to not, not participate in life, but it's like, you know, it's like you're out, but you go out and you go do something. And just the whole time you're just stuck thinking about whoever the person was. You know what I mean? And it's like, and, you, and you're stuck in that rut where it's like you go and try to put yourself in a situation to feel quote unquote normal. But it's like at this point, uh, you know, at the, like at the beginning of a breakup, which is kind of how I perceive this song, you know, at this point at the beginning of the breakup, it's like you're just lost. So it's like you're you're existing in a new space, but you're but you're living in the same headspace. And maybe sometimes to get through a relationship that didn't work out, you just want to create the most unpop song of all time, which is what she's efforting here in the next track, Jonathan. Uh, the opening piano lick is minor key. is never going to be played on the radio, but that's kind of why it's great. It's unique to her sound, even though I don't want to get into the who's and the has-beens of her relationships. This is, I will, this is about uh, a writer, <laughs> Jonathan Eames. And I only know this because of this dumb, long New Yorker profile that I keep uh, referencing. Did you know that I subscribe to the New Yorker and that I read it sometimes? Yeah, uh, I'm getting the impression <laughs> that, that you might. I read one article once and I'm going to tell you about it 10 times. <laughs> But she talks about, you know, this guy, this writer she had this relationship with for like, I think it was like five years and they're still on good terms and, you know, still talk now and are friends now. Uh, but the vibe here is unsettled, uh, to say the least. Yeah, you know, there was one line in the song that really, that really like struck, you know, kind of a, a, a tender spot for me. But I heard my dad one time talk about, you know, it was like Kathy Ireland or something. He was like, he was like, I would sit and listen to her read the phone book. You know what I mean? And it's like, and it's like yeah, it's the same kind of thing, right? It's like, I like watching you live. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I just want to exist in the same space as you. You know what I mean? I thought that was just such a sweet line. And it's interesting how we pivot into the next track and yeah, we go from this uh, sort of obscure minor key piano uh, to like this rollicking up and down and almost a saloon type piano in the track Left Alone. And we've got raw confessional uh, and sort of interrogation type lyrics. She says, how can I ask anyone to love me when all I do is beg to be left alone? Again, I mean, we, we've talked numerous times about how she has an economy of words and it's like it only got better as, as her career progressed. I feel like, especially in these last two albums, her lyrics are just less veiled than they than they were in the first in the first three. But I mean, and I mean that in a great way. You know, it's like she found a way of being transparent and then making herself even more transparent. And I think that she's, you know, not only growing as an artist, but she's also continuing to grow emotionally. And we fawned over how mature she was as a teenager. Here we are, you know, in 2012, and she's in the song Werewolf taking ownership of her actions and her feelings, which is like, you know, the penultimate sign of self-growth, being able to sort of own your stuff. And I could liken you to a shark The way you bit off my head But then again I was waving around a bleeding open wound But you were such a super guy Till the second you get away from me We're like a wishing well and a boat 
about how she wasn't really able to meet a good guy halfway uh, in a relationship. Uh, but she says it so beautifully. Uh, nothing wrong when a song ends in the minor key. It's just one of the prettiest tracks on the album. And it was curious at the end of the song, it there's like, uh, to me, it sounded like a concert sort of screaming. I think I read it. It was like kids yelling on a playground. And it's like, I don't, maybe I just need to think about it some more. I don't really get the, the, the dovetailing of that sound uh, with what the song is trying to say. But, you know, as you've mentioned, she's not doing anything on accident here. She has a purpose. We just, you know, I, I haven't figured it out yet. But you were such a super guy till the second you get a whiff of me. We're like a wishing world and a bolt of the electricity. But we can still support each other. Yeah, no, and, and it's yeah, and it's her purpose to to work out, you know. And I think that's a great thing about that. This song absolutely gutted me. You know, I think it's one of the it's one of the songs where I'm you know I'm crystal clear that Fiona Apple is either the best music to listen to during a breakup or the absolute worst music to listen to during a breakup, depending on your headspace, right? Because I think sometimes you could you know you could listen to this from a very empowered place and feel empowered by it, or you can listen to it from a place of, of deep sadness. And just, you know, and just feel hollow at the end. Of it. You know what I mean? You got to be careful. Sometimes it's like yeah. when you're when you're in a spot and you listen to some you know, music or, or read books or whatever that that really convey that it can sort of sink you further into that hole. Yeah, no, for sure. Periphery. You know, you've mentioned recording a little bit of music here and there and always being interested in layers of a song, which I think is pretty cool. You've got a brain that kind of works that way. Uh, we sort of tossed around some ideas, but at the end of this track, Periphery, and I'll play a little clip so people know what we're talking about. I have no idea what's going on. At some point, I thought that it was like a like a sample that was being played in reverse. Um, and then when I got to hear it a little bit more clearly, it sounded almost like something was supposed to be dragging. But then I didn't thought maybe that's not it. And then it sounded like some maybe something ripping. So I don't know, I, you know. And so I, I took to the internet uh, to try to find out, and there unfortunately was was not much available information on it. So hopefully, somebody in the deeper listening universe audience. Um, knows what it is that's going on in that song, or if you know Fiona, just ask her. You know, <laughs> do us do us a large and uh, and get us some information about that. Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, I know things aren't great with you guys, and you know you're, you've you've got four kids with Maya Rudolph, and uh, things are a little tense with you and Fiona. Uh, but if you're listening and you have any idea, let us know. And then we roll into the song "Regret," and this is like the most searing lover burned and wronged song of her catalog. And we talk about emotional growth and owning your stuff. There is nothing wrong uh, at all with owning your anger and expressing your anger. This is me giving myself a pep talk uh, for just my in, <laughs> inner emotional existence, but right. man, she, she doesn't have a problem doing that. And she definitely lets loose on, on this song. No, for sure. I mean, you know, just like this entire album, the song is just so raw. And I mean, she's just such an incredible storyteller. Remember how I asked you, why are you so mean? You didn't 
you know, there's a line in the song where she talks about like being sick and, you know, and the guy not believing her, but then him getting sick and her taking care of him and about how much he just hated that. And there's just so much that's going on there. It's so impactful because like you can either like take it at face value or you can dig into it a little bit and you can see him as being somebody that clearly in her mind like can't face his own imperfections in an honest way. You know what I mean? So it's like her taking care of him when he didn't do the same for her is a way of like holding up to the mirror to him in a way that he can't, you know, that he can't get with. And, you know, that's got to be frustrating for her because, you know, with her and her life experiences, like that wasn't an option. I mean, if she, you know, had that same stunted approach, it's like she, she would have stopped existing a long time ago. So I could see how, yeah, that would be frustrating when, you know, you're someone uh, with such a, a breadth of experience with some jabroni who can't even be vulnerable. <laughs> right. No, exactly. You know, and, and it's. And at a certain point, you're like, you're like, all right, like you keep picking this guy, Fiona. But the truth of the matter is, is that like you look at that one line and it's like, you know, I don't know if she's talking about a real person or, or if she's just created a dire situation for the purpose of storytelling. But it's just so great. I mean, it's just another one of her, another example of her lyrics having such depth and such weight that you can, you know, that you can really spend a lot of time thinking about it. It's like, you know, you're not listening to like, you know, you're not listening to Iron Maiden lyrics and being like, oh, that's deep. You know what I mean? But like this, you know what I mean? Like this is like, it really is. It really does. It does challenge you from a, you know, from a place of, you know, of emotional intelligence, you know, and then you get into anything we want. And like it really, to me, this song is where you really start to see the stage being set for a lot of the things that happen in festival cutters to me. You know, I love how all the different sonic textures are layered all throughout the song. You know, and I, I can just see a lot of the elements of, you know, of use what you got as an instrument. You know what I mean? And, and, and recording, a lot of this seems like it, it was probably recorded in, in a home studio or in a non-traditional place. And the, the last track on at least what was uh, the original album uh, format is Hot Knife. And this is also something that we're going to get a little more of as we move forward. But just nimble wordplay. It's rich and full. And she builds all of these layers just using her voice. And there's some timpani and some piano. This is like an earworm. And she has another one on the next album that I can't wait to talk about. But it's like when you find that vocal phrase that you, know, you might end up repeating to yourself over and over and over again. I think you've really hit on something. I'm a hot knife, I'm a hot knife, I'm a hot knife, he's a paddle butter. If I get a chance, I'm gonna show him that he's never gonna need another, never need another. I'm a hot knife, I'm a hot knife, if I'm a hot knife, he's a hot knife, he makes my heart. If I get a chance, I'm gonna show him that he's never gonna need another, never need another. There's a bonus track, which, you know, nowadays with the streaming services that we use, all the bonuses from like, oh, the Japanese album, like we're just all <laughs> listening to that without having to do any hard work. Um, but it's about Largo, the club in L.A. where she used to go sing uh, very often. The opening piano chords reminded me of Sullen Girl, that lovely track two from her debut album.
autobiographical lyrics about singing at Largo and just beautiful vocals. I mean, she sounds like a bird fluttering in the sky as she dips in and out of these various musical styles. I feel like singing and drinking and stuff and I don't want to care if I stumble or cry. Handle me like family and that'll be enough to keep me from dying when I want to die. When over the rainbows too far, go to luck, go to luck, go to luck, go When over the rainbows too far, go to luck, go to luck, go to luck, go this is one song that reminded me a little of Funkadelic, uh, not in what it sounded like, but just how we can go from style A to style B to style C across the span of like three or four minutes. And you just have to have such a command and such a skill set to be able to pull that off. To say that she has command and skill, you know, I mean, she's pretty she good. Did you she, know that? Turns out, turns out she's not bad, Justin. I gotta be honest. <laughs> um, you know, it really did to sum it all up. I really, really enjoyed this album. I really felt this album. Um, I love the stripped down nature of the album and kind of like the whole like vaudeville, like cabaret kind of, kind of vibe to, to a lot of it. You know, and I, I thought that it was hilarious that a lot of critics said that this album, that this album wasn't an easy listen. Like a lot of critics really enjoyed it. I mean, it was it was rated very highly, but they said it was you know kind of a kind of a tough listen. And I was thinking about that. Like, uh, have you heard Animal Collective? You know, like that, like that's a tough listen. Like this is this is easy to listen to. I really really enjoyed it, and you know, I think for me personally, if I didn't have such a strong like emotional attachment to Fetch the Bolt Cutters. I think this would probably be my favorite album in her catalog. There was a lot of really like cool things that were happening in my life when I when Fetch the Bolt Cutters came out. You know, global pandemic, a lot of really good times. <laughs> you know, for a lot of people, the pandemic was was you know was awful in so many ways, and it's like I almost feel guilty because there were so many things about it that were so great for me. You know, this and and Sigma Oasis and uh, the teamwork by the Future Birds. I think those three albums. You know, it turned out to be three of my favorites from the entire year. I really enjoy that. And I guess, you know, with that, we can start talking about Fetch the Bolt Cutters, which, I, uh, which I'm very excited about. It. I'll do my best to keep my comments brief, uh, which I'm not good at at all. When it all comes down to it, when I rated my favorite albums of 2020, this one came out as number one. I remember hearing it because it was like, well, Fiona Apple has a new album. Everybody loves it. Uh, I should listen to it because I haven't heard her since the mid to late 90s. And I was really impressed. I think I'm with you. I loved Idler Wheel and Fetch the Bolt Cutters is also right up there in the, the cream of the crop. And I was just giving you a tough time. I'm also one of those people who is like, yeah, the pandemic was awful, an awful, awful uh, occurrence. But when you look at that in an isolated, insular way, I also have, you know, some some fond memories and what was otherwise like a, a pretty, pretty rough time as as a collective human experience. 
she has just she has these incredibly long stretches that she'll go and not put albums out. I remember when when she put this out, there was so much critical acclaim surrounding the album even before it came out. Like people were writing about it and all that. I'm like I'm like well you know like I dug her stuff back in the day. Like let me let me check this out. And I remember I remember putting it on and just being like what? Like it was so good that I was like you know I mean because when when artists put out albums late in their career, expectations are generally pretty low. Yeah, if I told you, Fiona Apple, she's kind of taken a reclusive turn. Uh, she is single. She has <laughs> right, this uh, is, one this of rescue dogs living with her, and they're credited on this album. Uh, she made this in her spare bedroom at her house in Southern California. You'd probably think, okay. And it is a freaking masterpiece. But the opening track, I Want You to Love Me, it's like she just gets more and more original and becomes more and more herself uh, as she puts out more and more music. Uh, the opener, there's like this little rhythmic uh, 10 seconds that starts the album before it gets into like that classic Fiona Apple sound, or it's like gorgeous piano uh, and, you know, these pensive lyrics. Next year, it'll be clear. This is only leading me to that. And by that time, I hope you love me. But she really hits on the you and draws it out like in a tension and release kind of a way. For her to go from like this pretty sound to like, what's what's going on here? Like it raises (laughs) your your ear and uh, it really draws you in. Another Trey comparison, because we're fish nerds, if nothing else. I move with the trees and the breeze, and I know that time is elastic. You mentioned this a little earlier in the podcast, but, dude, time turns elastic. Uh, fish fans are either like, yeah, I hated it. It was in the second set when I saw him in Boston, and uh, it ruined the set. Or you're like me, and you remember Trey playing Time Turns Elastic in the barn, and you're like, holy f- He's back. And I want to give a second shout out to Don Hart, the uh, orchestrator in Nashville. Uh, If you've heard like that farm or the barn, Time Turns Elastic with Trey on the acoustic, do yourself a favor and listen to the fully orchestrated album because it is like slap you in the face, beautiful uh, with movements and layers. And it's just a stunning piece of of art but back to fiona i mean she's pulling the same thing off here just uh, adjusting her vocals and her delivery over the course of a couple of lines and her vocals get a little more harsh as the song unfolds and you know she's not trying to be pretty sounding she is trying to in my opinion uh, communicate her truth and she does that now that said when you communicate your truth it can be a little messy and i think we both agree that at the end of this track we're like, what? What? What's going on here, friend? Are you okay? Are you having a seizure? She hits this like fluttering high vocal, but I think it's probably meant to be disarming. Yeah, you know, and, and it almost seems like I don't know, like maybe there. To me, there's probably a story behind it. Like it's like a smoke signal to somebody. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know. I mean maybe. Um, but it's what I think about this song. This, it, I mean, first of all, it's just beautiful. It's it's such a beautiful song. When she sings the you part of that, she sings it for eight beats. You know what I mean? She doesn't typically draw out any of any of her lyrics and, you know, and have these long 
I guess stanzas where it's a single where it's a single word and she holds the note. So for her to hold this for eight beats when it's her typical delivery is much quicker where she's where she's kind of rattling through, you know, a, a, a series of words in a more, you know, reading poetry kind of way. And for her to sing this out, it was it was right off the bat was something that was that was different from anything that we've heard from her before. And I agree with you about whatever's going on at the end of the song. It's you know, there are ten seconds on the song that I'm not just a hundred percent wild about and it's those. If it's I mean really it's the only thing on the album where I where I'm finding myself scratching my head a bit. Everything else I'm like I'm like this is pretty amazing. Yeah. Really, really great opener, and I think the, the the first single from this album, not that I mean singles even matter in this day and age, but is the next track, Shamika, which I think you really dug. Yeah, I love this song. I mean, the, the, the first the first four songs on this album are just you know are, are just un- unreal. Shamika said I had potential. 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 This is another one. I just I love it. It's a time and place kind of song for me. So I, I just bought this the house that I'm in now, and you know I can remember coming into. Uh, I remember like walking into the house uh, a couple of days after I bought it, and I had this like uh, this Bose Bluetooth speaker that was sitting. I had a at the time I had a, a wall that separated my sunroom from my kitchen, and there was like this hole that was cut out in it, and I put the speaker there, and uh, apparently I was listening to Shamika in the car. Because when I walked into the house, it connected to the Bluetooth speaker, and it was just me that was in there. And there was no, there's nothing in the house. There's no furniture or anything like that. And then this song comes on and starts playing, and it's like echoing and bouncing all around the house. And it's like this, you know, the excitement of, you know, of, of the time that's going on. And it's like that memory is like completely seared into, you know, into that experience for me. And Shamika said that she had potential. Fiona Apple did in the song. It's about a middle school classmate of her. Uh, of hers and uh yeah yeah your, your house has potential you can't see it listening to the podcast but you've done a lot of work and it looks great yeah yeah no we, we've done a bunch to it and it's you know and, and at the time you know looking at the house as we bought it it was you know that's what we were looking at we bought it because of the potential there was one room was the reason that i bought it you know what i mean and then the rest of it was like i can make it into what i want it's pretty cool when, yeah, the, the song will take you take you right back to that time and place. I think that's that's very neat. We get into I love fetch the bolt cutters. Fetch the bolt cutters. I've been in here too long. Fetch the bolt cutters. I've been in here too long. And apparently the album was going to be called Fetch the Bolt Cutters before she wrote the song Fetch the Bolt Cutters. This comes from like this uh, Gillian Anderson, uh, you know, from X-Files fame, this British crime drama that she is in nowadays uh, called The Fall. And it's a scene where she finds a girl who's been in this room and gone through these awful experiences and Gillian Anderson says fetch the bolt cutters and you know Fiona Apple has uh, gone on record doing press for this album saying you know it's about breaking out of whatever prison you've allowed yourself to live in you know whether that's like in the show like a very real uh, prison or you know some emotional construct that you have built for yourself or that you've accepted but the message to this record according to fiona is fetch the bolt cutters get out of the situation whatever it is you don't like (laughs) as someone who used to have dogs uh, 
and uh, not currently in that season of life. They've gone over the rainbow bridge, uh, but we're just dealing with, with kids and their poop and not dogs and their poop. <laughs> but I have to imagine the fact that her dogs like are barking at the end of this track uh, has, has got to drive uh, your two Frenchies crazy. And anyone with dogs is like, geez, Louise, come on, lady. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I can, I can definitely confirm that. Uh, my dogs lose their mind when the song is played, because you know, again, this is the song. The song on this album is recorded in the confines of a home. So when you hear the dogs barking, like it's disarming to me sometimes. Where I'm like, oh, is there, you know, is is, is there a dog, you know, a, a, around? Like, because it, it, it sounds just, it sounds like it's in the in the room with you. It's one of the things about this album that I really enjoy is that it sounds like you are in the room that it's being recorded. You know, we talked about that with some of the um, with some of the funkadelic albums, where it's like the the vibe of the album really puts you there. With this one, it's the sound of the album, the sound of the album. Like you know, you can knowing going into it that it's recorded in a spare bedroom, you can very quickly get into the headspace that you are in the spare bedroom as it's being as it's being played. And she's on a roll here. We get into Under the Table, and she's basically describing like how she is at a dinner party and, and can't keep quiet when someone says something that you know she thinks is wrong. So when they say something that makes me start to simmer, that fancy wine won't put this fire out. Oh, kick me under the table all you want. I won't shut up. I won't shut up. This made me think of my wife, Jamie, who just has that uh, magical ability uh, when something is said to be like, no, I disagree. And it's important to me uh, to let you know that I think what you're saying is wrong. Me, growing up in a big family, people pleaser, that is not my instinctual reaction. I will Absolutely not. bury no, some stuff. I will oh, be yeah. like, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, gotcha, gotcha, duly noted. While in my brain, I'm like, what the heck is this person talking about? <laughs> but I really admire that uh, in my wife, but also here in, you know, in Fiona Apple, even though that can't make for uh, easy relationships as she's talking about, you know, her date kicking her under the table here at this dinner party. Yeah, you know, I think it's such a great transition from the previous song with Fetch the Bolt Cutters. It starts out with, you know, I would I would beg to disagree, but begging disagrees with me. You know, and it's like, it's, it's such a great turn of phrase. You know, and the, and the way that she talks about this whole interaction, it's like you feel like you're at the dinner table. And like you can feel her temperature rising as like, you know... To, to put it in her terms, it's like, you know, the, the mutton that she is, that she's forced to be at the dinner table with, you know, are talking about things that she clearly can't get with. And it's like, she's not going to be quiet about it. And, you know, and again, it goes back to that, the, the whole idea of empowerment. I mean, because same kind of thing. I grew up in the South. I grew up in a, in a family where I was the, I was the youngest of three kids, um, you know, and, and for me to be at a place where I where I would feel it necessary to speak up about something, somebody would have to say something pretty rough for me to be like, um, no, you know what I mean? Like, and there's been a couple of times where that's happened, you know, where I've where somebody has said something that's been like overtly racist or you know or misogynistic or something like that, and I've had to pipe up and be like, we're not doing that. Um, but even then, it's like I'm so uncomfortable in that situation, you know what I mean? So. 
So to hear her talk about it in, a, in such an empowered way, it's like it's really to me, it's it's admirable. I wish that I was, I wish that I was more like that. Yeah, it's so funny as someone who also grew up in like a, a, a bigger family, and the, you know, falling in line is is definitely like a, a quality or a, or a, or a value uh, that carries weight. But you're right, you know, we talked about hey, you know, it's it's twenty twenty one now, like what flew five or 10 years ago, let alone a couple of decades ago, isn't, isn't going to fly. And yeah, even, you know, polite little old me who's afraid to offend anyone. Yeah. When those moments arise, it's going to be like, yo, no, no, this isn't, this isn't what we're doing, but yeah, that's not me at a, at a dinner party. If we're just talking about like, you know, something uh, less intense. And I'm in my head when I heard this song under the table, I was, you know, thinking of, you know, not something like so cut and dry and black and white. I was thinking of, uh, you know, her getting into it with someone over some smaller thing, which in the imagination that I've built around like who she is as a person, like totally fits with her vibe. Yeah, no, I mean, this, you know, it's just another one of those songs where it's like it just puts you in the room. You know, and it's like, it's really, it's hard for me to, and I've said this a bunch, uh, and there's no way to word it differently. I can't really pick favorites, favorite tracks on any of these albums, but this one is one of my favorite tracks on this album. I really, really like this song. It's just, a, it's a great story, you know, and it's like, it's a great story. It makes me think about it when it's, you know, it makes me think about it after the song's over. It's kind of like when you, when you watch a really good movie and you spend the next three days thinking about like, like what was going on in the, in the movie. Like this song put me in that same space where it's like I thought about like the story that was being told in this song long after the song was over, which is, you know, that is a super rare occurrence for me. Which is funny because that's what the next track did for me. And because it was so like uh, instinctual and so like such uh, just hit me on a rhythmic kind of deeper level. Uh, But the song Relay. I mean, this is a masterpiece. Uh, She wrote this lyric in her teens, uh, apparently, uh, but it's evil is a relay sport when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. Evil is a relay sport when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. Evil is a relay sport when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. Evil is a relay sport. But she's delivering it in this, you know, very catchy, rhythmic uh, way, and it is infectious. I always think when I'm thinking back to uh, what were my favorite albums of the year, uh, I don't ever think what was the best. I just think of what did I listen to the most? And this is that track for me where it's just like, hey, there's a reason that I was singing Evil is a Relay Sport when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch like a hundred times the other day, almost to like the point of madness. Uh, <laughs> but she comes by it honestly. I had read that when she was a kid and she has battled, you know, not only depression and anxiety, but also OCD. She would roller skate around the kitchen table in her New York City apartment 88 times because those are the numbers of keys on a piano and i could just imagine someone with that kind of a a, a mind uh, would also sort of become engrossed in a song like relay and it's also interesting to me because you know she's talking about trauma being sort of turned and passed on to a next generation that's just something that fascinates me not only just like you know like real heavy stuff but just like 
Oh, man. Why am I this way? Okay, my parents. Why are my parents this way? Oh, because of their parents. Why are they this way? Oh, I've met my grandparents before. I'm making all these connections. And I just think it's like something that's always fascinated me about the human condition is how you can always strike out on your own, but you can also uh, connect dots pretty easily from one generation to the next. You know, she makes it a point to talk about resenting things that are completely out of her control right so like one of the lines like I can, you know I resent you for being raised right I nice. resent you for being tall yeah. you know what I mean so it's like like you know like what <laughs> you know, like something that this person has zero control over so it also shows just how you know I guess like how insane I guess uh, to bring that back up how insane it can be you know, when you get mired down in resentment, when you, you know, when you could be angry with somebody, somebody over something that is just completely out of their control, you know, and it's like, what do you, what do you do with that? You know, and maybe that is, maybe that's the evil that she's talking about, right? Is that, is, you know, is holding on to a resentment over something that is unchangeable. And also how honest and vulnerable it is to even like admit that. Right. Yeah, you know, no, exactly. to, to paint oneself in an unflattering light. That's certainly not something that I am able to do in, in, in my life very often. So the fact that she's, you know, releasing this album and she's like, no, yep, we're going with this. I'm going to I'm going to say this stuff that sounds a little crazy, but this is me. Here we go. Like, you know, bravo. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's funny because we talk about you know how how deep those songs were, and then we get into this tune "Rack of His," uh, and it's inspired by a couple of relationships over a lot of time. But she's like literally talking about like, oh, this guy's got this rack of guitars, and yeah. it's just like, okay, all right, well, this, this seems a little superficial in reference, you know, after after uh, the heels of what we heard before. But uh, also, you know, a fine tune. And then you know, and then from there we get into uh, into newspaper. There's no bad tunes on this album. I thought that this this was another this was another good one. I don't know what what your take was on it. Anytime someone says like the word woke, I just tend to be like, oh god, don't say that. Or right, anytime someone talking. says like hashtag me too, it's like, geez, please stop talking. But this does strike me as like the song on the album that is emblematic of the times that we're in in the Me Too era, which is just an era of justice uh, and like it's accountability. You know what I mean? That's that's to me is is exactly what it is. It's like what Me Too. You know, there, people have taken the phrase Me Too and try to slander the entire idea. And it's like, no, it's really just about being accountable for being a scumbag. Right. And that is what this song is about. It's basically saying like, Hey, this, this guy treated me wrong. He, he treated you wrong. And like, we didn't even really get a chance to, to be on level terms uh, with this, uh, you know, with this uh, idiots, with this awful person. So a uh, little bit of uh, accountability, at least, you know, coming in the, in the form of this, in this song here. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, we don't, obviously we don't share your experience, but it's like, you know, we can, uh, we can we can certainly try to look at our own our own behavior to make sure that, that nobody has the same experience that you did because of us. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think that that's that's kind of the, the message of the time, right? Ladies, 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 ladies. Ladies, ladies, ladies. And, and the next track, Ladies, which is just like a fun kind of, you can imagine her kind of winking on stage. Uh, we were talking earlier uh, before we started recording. Like, it, Will she tour post-pandemic? Can we see Fiona Apple? Because we really want to. Um, 
But like this is, it feels just like a, a great nod uh, to everyone. Ladies, ladies, ladies. I was thinking about this at work when I was in meetings, 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 meetings. Um, but she really kind of gets pointed here and, and talks about, uh, you know, she used to have this urge to befriend like partners of her former partners. It's almost some way of I don't being seen by them or who, you know, who knows. Um but here she's really wised up at lyrics like nobody can replace anybody else. So it'd be a shame to make it a competition and no love is like any other love. So it'd be insane to make a comparison with you. I mean, and how wise is that, right? It's like, you never, you never are going to love two people the same way, you know? So to be able to recognize that and not turn it into a competition, you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think that's just, I think it's really cool. You know, this is another song on the album where it's like, you know, on this one, it's like I noticed her actually doing her own backing vocals. And that was something that had, that was absent from other albums. It seems like she had other singers that did her backing vocals. And with this one, you know, she's doing them. And uh, or at least I think it's her. And and if it's not her, it's somebody that sounds a lot like Stop me if you've heard me talk about this, but in that New Yorker profile, it's literally her <laughs> sister is over with her baby and like recording some backing vocals. I forget which tracks they were, uh, but it was a bit of a family uh, affair. So, but it's also some layers of uh, Fiona herself. So you're you're totally right uh, on that one. I love the track "Heavy Balloon." People like us, we play with a heavy balloon. Keep it up to keep the devil at bay, but it always falls way too soon. People like us, we play with a heavy balloon. Snazzy production here. I don't know how she pulled this off in her spare bedroom. This is almost like uh, how Sullen Girl was kind of painting a picture of depression on her first album about it's calm under the waves in the blue of my oblivion. This kind of does the same thing. It doesn't necessarily even have to be depression. It could just be if you're going through it. You know what I mean? And you're and you're kind of stuck in that, you know, you're, you're stuck in that same headspace. It's like, you know, you might have like fleeting moments of like happiness, but like what's surrounding all of that is, you know, are these are these layers of like intense sadness or hurt or pain or whatever, whatever the case may be. So I think it's, but I do think it's a, a, a you know, a very apt description of depression as well. Yeah. Kind of a choose your own adventure, kind of, kind of <laughs> right. apply it, apply right. it to yourself. Sort choose, of choose your own terrible adventure. Right. <laughs> I wish I could turn back to page 37 and do that one all over again. Uh, <laughs> Cosmonauts, uh, great track. I mean, if if there was going to be like something you could play on the radio that that everyone would universally appreciate, I feel like it's this song. So it was funny to learn that this was written uh, back in 2012 for a Judd Apatow movie. This is 40, but it didn't didn't make it into uh, the movie, although a different track of hers did make it into that movie. But it explores a lifelong kind of relationship or at least a relationship over a long period of time a beautiful line because you and i will be like a couple of cosmonauts except with way more gravity than when we started off oh you and i will be like a couple of cosmonauts except with way more gravity than when we started off Hello, anyone who's ever been with someone for a long period of time and gone through some things, that hits the nail on the head. The other line from the from the song that really got me was, I only like the way I look when looking through your eyes. You know, I thought that, that was such a, just a, just a cool line because it's like, you know, 
I guess like when you have the experience of being with somebody who like likes you works and all. You know what I mean? It's like so even like when you can't see it in yourself, it's like they, they still see it in you. I mean, and that's like literally as beautiful a picture of unconditional love that you can paint. So I, I mean, yeah, yeah. For so, sure. and then we pivot into for her, which she says was written on behalf of a friend uh, who had her own experiences, but this is also written during the nomination of now Supreme court justice, Brett Kavanaugh. So you know, you, with that information in your back pocket, you can sort of follow along as the song morphs uh, from like chance. Uh, then it gets into like these delicate, almost fever dream vocals, but we're definitely, you know, kind of talking about, uh, someone's trauma and and some unwanted experiences. So a heavy song, which certainly is not a place here on a Fiona Apple album. You will ride on Chicago like a soft duck bed, like you know you should know, but you don't know where it's at. You will ride on Chicago like a soft duck bed, like you know you should know, but you don't know where it's at. Like you know you should know, but you don't know what you. Do. Yeah, and I mean, you know, this is the first time that I believe that she actually just calls out something as rape on on one of on one of her songs we've talked about how she words things and how that has progressed throughout her career and it's gotten to the place and fetch the bolt cutters where she's just calling it out directly instead of alluding to it and i think that it takes a lot of uh, i think it takes a lot of courage and a lot of and a lot of confidence to be able to do that yeah very impressive. Drum set, uh, a random song about a misunderstanding with her band. Uh, I feel like there's not a whole lot to say about that, but on I go. She has this repetitive clapping chant, uh, and I believe she's literally just saying kind of the same phrase over and over and over again. On I go, not to ward or away. Up until now, it was day next day. Up until now, in a rush to prove. But now, I only move to move. Oh, my God, not to ward or away. Up until now, it was day next day. Up until now, in a rush to prove. But now, I only move to move. Oh, my God, not to ward or away. Up until now, it was day next day. The way that there's like a little bit of sporadic drums and the rhythm reminded me of the end of Strawberry Jam from Animal Collective with that track Derek, how it's just like the rhythm kind of takes you over. But she says, but now I only move to move, among other things. But that's uh, really, you know, encapsulates, I, I feel like, hey, I'm me. I'm doing my thing. As long as I stick to my own truth, that's all I need. I'm going to be good. And I think yeah. that that's a really cool message to wrap this album. I agree. You know, it's like it's like stay in your truth and do what do what moves you with intention. It's about doing life and not having you know life happen to you. You know, is that kind of the, the the message that I get from it? I guess to kind of sum this album up as, as as best you can. It's like you know people have complained, talked about how slow her output is and, and how slow it's been for her entire career. But my thought with it is is like, listen, if you're going to put out albums that are this good, take all the time you need. You need ten years between albums. Okay. You know, if you can, if you can be putting out albums for 25 years and have something like that's the bolt cutters come out of it, I think that you know she is somebody who has essentially done you know done things her way throughout her entire career. She has bucked the system. You know, she has made the system work for her. She's not accepted the system as it is. Again, it goes to a lot of courageousness, a lot of you know, a lot of empowerment. Where you know, I think that she understands the talent and what she was, you know, what she was bringing to the table and really made sure that she didn't, uh, that she didn't water it down with this album in particular. I, I just think it has such a, you know, such a free feel to it. 
Uh, the album overall, to me, it feels like freedom in, in comparison to the other albums. The lyrics are a little bit more veiled than some of the previous albums. And to where this one, it's like, you know, you feel like that you are more in her head and in her heart of, of how she is speaking during this album. That was my take on it. I thought that this album was brilliant. To be honest, I think her entire catalog is brilliant. I don't think that there's a bad album in it. You know, when we started, uh, when I had listened to Title again for the first time in, gosh, probably 20 years, I was like, whoa, this is better than I remember. And I remembered it being awesome. So when we rank these, when I rank these, the title is going to end up being last on the list. But I love title. And title is a masterpiece and just punching way above its weight class, uh, to say the least. But I think for me, Idler Wheel uh, and Fetch the Bolt Cutters are the top two. And then Extraordinary Machine. Uh, I just love like the woodwinds and the playfulness and the self-assuredness that she communicates in that album and i think win the pawn such a tremendous rhythmic confident follow-up to her smash debut uh, that it's almost like every album gets better so they're all great we're splitting hairs here this has me so so jazzed for whenever, wherever, however the next album comes out. It's like it's literally going to be like 2027. <laughs> right, in, in 2042 when the when the next album drops. No, I, you know, I had a very similar experience, you know, trying to rank these was uh, was difficult, you know, and I can't to say that one is better than the other, I think is uh, you know, I don't I don't think is is, is really even fair. So I've got to, I've got to rank them and, you know, and, and just and, and which ones were my favorite. Um, you know, I have such an emotional connection to Fetch the Bolt Cutters that I would have to very narrowly put that one in the top slot for me, followed by Idler Wheel. So I think that you and I were very much in the same wavelength of both of those. You know, both of those albums are A++ albums. And then for me, it would be When the Pawn Hits would be would be right after that. I really, really like that album. Uh, title would be the, the fourth place one for me. And then, and then uh, the one that I uh, would probably return to the least would be extraordinary machine even though i loved it you know like i would i would rank you know in my own personal ranking system you know extraordinary machine would be an a you know so it's like this is like her her album gpa is a 4.0 you know what i mean so it's like she is uh you texted to me um a while back you know that her catalog is bulletproof and you know i really believe that that to be true and and i'm going to go ahead and say that she is in a very very rare class of artists where every single thing that she's put out has been brilliant it would be an interesting discussion to bring to the you know to the masses on twitter or whatever and you know and see what people think how many other artists can really claim that everything in their catalog is is great and how many other artists who released their debut album when they were in their teens can say that i mean in an alternate universe first of all she could have never released any albums even though she was obviously very musical throughout her entire life uh, you could see going things going in an entirely different direction for her and you could also imagine okay that first album came out and she got sort of caught up in the trappings of fame which just doesn't ring true uh, for how she communicates uh, what she's feeling and what she's thinking but yeah just just a masterpiece uh, from start to finish and it was really 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 fun uh, to kind of get to organically appreciate 
that because I didn't really have any, you know, uh, suppositions about what we were going to get into. It was like, no, title was awesome. Fetch the Bolt Cutters. I heard a lot of good things about it. It was pretty good when I listened to it. Uh, but when you go through the discography, especially chronologically, when you just see the growth mm-hmm. from album to album, golly, this is, this is nuts. So kudos to you, Miss Apple. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it was, you know, great, great, great deep dive. This is one that I would absolutely recommend that if you are a fan of this podcast and you're, you know, and if you have heard any of her music that you did like, uh, you know, avail yourself of her entire catalog because the, the whole thing really is brilliant. I think that you'll, I think that you will find yourself in the same position as Justin and I and just really in, in, enjoy the whole thing. So I think that, uh, I think with that, it's, uh, it's time to wrap up and, and discuss uh, what we're going to jump into next. And I think that, uh, next, we are going to uh, we're going to jump into and listen to the catalog of Saint Vincent. I realize I, I don't know a lot of Saint Vincent, even though she's been around for a long time. So this is going to be another educational deep dive. But yeah, that's something that we'll look forward to, and I'm sure we'll learn a lot and have a lot to say. So we'll look forward to tackling that and to uh, hopefully discussing the new album uh, shortly after after it's released. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and please feel free to leave a review. You can also find us on Twitter at Listen Deeper or on Instagram at Deeper underscore listening underscore podcast. We'd love to know what you think, what you like, and what you know. We'll look forward to talking to you next time. Uh, thanks, as always, to the incredible Thomas Wing for our theme music. Get into a better mood, indeed. Check out his Bandcamp page at blackoutmakeout.bandcamp.com. There will be a link in the show notes. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.